Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that 50% of modern life is trying to figure out what's beeping. <laughs> yeah, no shit. It's Dale. Yeah, what about the other 50%? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're asleep then. Yeah, I don't what, know. What is that beeping? Yeah. Fire alarm? Beeping? Microwave? Yeah, we're just trying to figure out what is that? What is that noise? Is the battery going dead? I don't know if that's the modern life or just the middle age thing. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. What the hell is that beeping? Before then, you don't give a shit. Or where's it coming from? Let somebody else worry about it. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Start unplugging shit. Yeah, everything. Checking batteries. Yeah. Mm, put on your uh, investigator hat. Running around the house. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Same old, brother. Same, same old, old, same old. Yeah. Well, a little bit different. Yeah. Morning, morning tell you this is a new thing. Isn't it? Yeah, we recording on a morning. Yeah. We can do it, man. We can. We yep. have a we have a backup day that we record on. That's right. When Stuff you, comes up, no big deal. We get it done for you guys. We get it done. We do. Get in the house. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything you want to mention or any good shout outs before we get done? Oh, we got a good shout outs. First of all, like uh, we have a uh, five star, five star, five star review. Five star. And that comes from uh, Hailstorm M. People quit clapping. Okay. And this basically says, uh, this is uh, one of my favorite podcasts. And, you know, while they get into it pretty good, they also said, you know, while we love the podcast, he wishes uh, we would get a little bit deeper in some mental health issues or the trauma and the thoughts of the behaviors of the criminals. And, you know, basically saying that tapping into their minds and stuff would probably answer a lot of our whys and, uh, you know, thinks everything would benefit, you know, the podcast and all. And basically, a perspective and insight would help us out and connect to the case and then help you guys, you know, get into it a little more. While we agree, we are uh, kind of doing what we do and what we got time for, so... Yeah, really appreciate the comment, but and five star, and thanks for the for interviewing. We'll uh, see if we can do a little more of that, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that's why we try to have an expert on here every once in a while to try to fill in some holes and yeah. somebody that knows more about the case. Yeah, deep dives. Yeah, we love that too. So yeah, so thanks, thanks, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Any five star review, and if you guys want to get on here and get a shout out, sling us one a five star review and uh, give us a comment. Yeah, on Apple Podcast. Definitely, definitely. And, don't forget to put your podcast. I mean, your podcast. Don't forget to put your uh, your comment in there, so, so it'll uh, let us know. That's right. And if anybody wants to go to the website and click on the store page and get you some kind of merch to wear, t-shirt, yeah, or, or just you, uh, drop a couple dollars in the gas tank, yeah. And just telling your friends helps us too. Man, I'm telling you, somebody must have been telling the shit out of some friends because we have really been blessed this month. Yeah, this has been a really good month on downloads. Yeah, we are, we don't know what's going on and we're not questioning it. We just love every minute yep, of it. So, that's right. So thank, thank you guys. Cannot keep up with it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's amazing. It is. It really is. You know, also jump on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and also a fans Facebook page. Join on and uh, subscribe to both of those guys and uh, do, get in there and chit-chatting away. Yep. It's always fun. And uh, of course, if you don't know and you you know, we also want to check out, we also have a uh, YouTube channel where we uh, upload all our episodes. It's only uh, audio, but we do have uh, a few videos with a uh, video video, you know, there'll be more to come for that. So jump over there and subscribe to that, please. If we had more, if we had as much time as we had works, we'd be into it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. We have really good intentions. We we promise you. There's <laughs> just not enough hours in the day. I know, man. Yeah. This work. If we, did, we could do this full time, we'd be blowing this thing up. Yep. All right, dude, we're going to get into this episode. We'll do it, man, because you know if you go two minutes, you're going to get bitched at. Yeah, people are going to complain. And a lot of people, let me go ahead and get in before we get, we'll go ahead and get bitched at this week. But I just want to say, a lot of people ask me why I always say that. 
uh, you know, it's been a while now, but one time we uh, had somebody email us at school, and it, it was just really raising hell that we should quit talking so much and get into our episodes. And it was, we went back and looked, and it was like two minutes and nine seconds that we yeah. had actually just had a little talk at the beginning and starting her. Because, uh, Basically, we don't like that either. If we listen to, to a podcast and they're just talking for 30 minutes before they ever get into their episode, we're, we're, we're out. So we don't, well, we don't like that either. So, you know, but it's, so it's just a, a long-running joke. Yeah, it is, a, yeah, it I, is I, a joke. I have had people ask me, Inside well, joke what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so no big deal. It's all fun. It is. All right, let's roll. All right. <laughs> well, we've got a very disturbing case this week, dude. Yeah, and this case was brought to our attention by Bobby Mathis, and uh, we really appreciate you recommending this, because this is just kind of right on top of us, and we had no idea. Yeah, this was happening in our backyard. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't Way know, out in the backyard. I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> it must have been swept under the rug or something. Yeah, under the grass, maybe. Yeah, under the about dirt. Two, about two and a half feet. Yeah, under the dirt. <laughs> but today, Dale, we are talking about Sharon Lepatka. Sharon Lepatka. Yeah. Now, she is not from our backyard. She is up from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. But just a little bit of background on Sharon Lepatka. She was born Sharon Denberg, and she was the oldest of four daughters that was born to Mr. and Mrs. Abraham Denberg in 1961. Abraham. Yeah. Now, they lived in a suburb of Baltimore, Maryland, and Sharon's parents they were devout Orthodox Jews. Right. Yeah. Who were very active in the Beth Tifolo congregation. Now, Sharon's dad, Abraham, was in fact a cantor at the Beth Tifolo church there. And this is the largest Orthodox Jewish synagogue in there. Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. But his daughter, Sharon, she had been active in sports and sang in the school choir and. She was even perceived by classmates to be just as normal as you can get. Right. Now, in 1991, Sharon, she married a guy named Victor, and he was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was from Ellicott City, Maryland. He was also a construction worker. And Sharon's parents, they didn't approve of this marriage, Dale. No. no. There was a former high school classmate that told the Washington Post on November the 3rd of 1996 that the marriage was Sharon's way of kind of breaking away. But Sharon moved with her husband to a small ranch-style house in Hampstead, Maryland. Right. She even switched to Catholicism, right? Yeah, yeah. switched over to... Yeah, so I'm sure her parents was not happy with this. Mm-mm. This was in the early 1990s, Right. but they didn't have any children. Now, her husband, Victor, was doing construction work and, you know, leaving the house every day to go to work. Mm-hmm. But Sharon, she began several small internet business ventures. Now, we got to keep in mind, Dale, this was the early 1990s. Yeah, early, and, like, like 1996 or something. Right? Yeah, and internet was still in its infancy. Yeah. You know, there, oh, weren't, yeah. there weren't any controls for anything. You could pretty much do anything you wanted to do or be anybody you wanted to be on the internet. Well, it was a wild west. Yeah, it was. Pretty much. It really was. Yeah. And she was looking into a lot of stuff and trying to figure out how to make money, and it was pretty, I mean, websites were wide open, so you could just kind of set up your own stuff and go. Yep. But she started a, a business called Classified Concepts, and she wrote ad copy for advertisers for $50 an ad. Right. Which is pretty good. Yeah, they would send her some stuff, and then she would rewrite it and send it. She had a pretty good talent for this. Yep. And she also operated several other websites where she sold psychic readings and advice. Imagine that. Yeah. 
And, that stuff was real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Sharon would also post ads selling other services. She even got into uh, doing 1-900 numbers. Man, that was a big deal back then. It was. Everything had a 900 number. It did. I wouldn't know, but I mean, I'm sure you would know. But <laughs> Yeah, I would know. Yeah. I didn't call one, but I know because I couldn't afford it. But she, th- <laughs> she did this where she would get a little bit of percentage of the revenue. Right. And she made money by advertising pornographic videos. Mm, so so she's, she's doing all kind of stuff. Yeah, she seemed to be escalating into some different things. Right. She's following the money trail, I'd say. And she also got into a business with a, uh, a friend of hers. They had a home decorating venture. Yeah. Where they uh, had a website called House of Dion. Yes. And they even uh, had a book on how to decorate your home. Yeah, I think they were actually together one day decorating, and they went, hell, we are to do this, and they made up a little, like, a 30-page catalog, I think. Yep. But Sharon, she got to, you know, dealing in some more darker stuff. Very. And she was doing her videos, her sexual videos, and she had a pseudonym online, mm-hmm. a fake name called Nancy Carlson. Yes. And this is where she sold videos of unconscious women having sexual intercourse. Yeah, kind of weird. Now, there was uh, an article in the Augusta Chronicle on November 4th, 1996, and one excerpt from her ad on October the 1st, 1996, stated that she had... Quote. Yeah, just quote, just made a video of actual women willing and unwilling to be knocked out, drugged, under hypnosis, and chloroformed. End quote. Unquote, yeah. yeah. And Sharon even went so far to advertise her own undergarments online, which read, is there anyone out there interested in buying my worn panties? Man. Yeah. You want to buy some drawers? Yeah. <laughs> but Sharon, she didn't have any qualms about advertising and selling products that would, you know, appeal her sexual fantasies. No. And her fetishes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I guess this is a money-making thing to her. I think it, it started out, to me, it seems like it might have started out as a money-making thing, but I think she's kind of got sucked into it also. Yeah. I think she was kind of starting to to get off on it, really. Yeah. Just to say, I don't know. I guess get that's into the best some, way to say it. <laughs> get into some darker things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But Sharon used the internet for a lot of different purposes, such as obtain business ideas and make money. Mm-hmm. And she also used the internet to interact with a large variety of people. Right. Who, I guess they shared her unconventional interest. Yeah, because you just find a chat room with whatever crazy name and jump in there and there you are. Yep. Talking to people who have, before this time, you know, before internet, you did, if you thought crazy stuff, you thought you was the only one. <laughs> when you got on the internet, you realized you was nowhere near the only one. Mm-mm, they were, there was always something more. A whole pile of <laughs> crazy out there yeah a lot more crazy than you yep and she would often venture into hardcore pornographic chat rooms where subscribers would you know they would openly talk about their interest in necrophilia bondage fetishes and other sadomasochism Mm -hmm. so she's getting darker dude right everybody's got a fake name and just chatting away yep and she used numerous pseudonyms and multiple personalities in her internet messages yeah and using these masks that she had you know these fake names allowed her mm-hmm. anonymity and the freedom to pursue her sexual fantasies right. man well you can just say whatever you want then you know what i mean nobody knows who you are you make up this person that you're acting like you are and they can do whatever they like yeah and there was a, a washington post article on november the 3rd of 1996 and there was one message 
Sharon posted stating that she had a fascination with torturing till death. Yeah. And some of the identities she assumed during these chat room sessions included a 300-pound strict dominatrix and disciplinarian. And she even claimed to be a screen actress named Nancy Carlson, like we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. who would uh, offer to star in customized sex videos for a price. And she described herself as a five foot six beauty. Yeah, shapely beauty. Yeah, shapely, be- shapely beauty. <laughs> if she's five foot six and three hundred pounds, she's pretty shapely. Yeah. Now the News Observer found more than fifty messages of Sharon's over several months. Yeah. And many were found on internet sites such as fetishfeet.com and sexbondage.com. All right, fetishfeet. Yeah, and the overriding theme of Sharon's messages was that she wanted to be tortured and killed. That was her thing. That blows my mind. Yeah. And often she would post messages on the internet looking for a man to satisfy her. Right. Now, there was a sex rights activist named Tanith, no last name, who often visited these websites, and they told the Washington Post that she became concerned with Sharon's bizarre messages. Yeah, I think she was kind of policing, going, look, you're going a little bit too far here. You need to hold on yourself. But. Yeah. And yeah. Tanith even tried to stop her. Yeah. But Sharon, you know, she refused. Yeah, she basically told her she didn't, she didn't She didn't. need anybody policing her. She wanted the real thing didn't ask you to be preaching to me. Yeah. I just can't wrap my head around this because I'm thinking if, if your thing is you want to be tortured to death, I mean, you're only going to get one shot at it. I mean, That's it. I mean, come on. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess this is all over my head. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. The Baltimore Sun learned that there were numerous responses to Sharon's messages offering to fulfill her fantasy. Right. And most eventually withdrew when they discovered that Sharon's requests were serious. Yeah. But there was one man willing to give Sharon exactly what she wanted, dude. And we're going to get into him right here. Right. There was a guy named Robert Bobby Frederick Glass. Robert Bobby. He went by Bobby. Yeah. And he was a 45-year-old computer analyst who worked for the Catawba County, North Carolina government, which is just right up the road here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and according to the Washington Post, Bobby was a productive worker who was responsible for programming tax rolls and keeping track of the gas consumption of county vehicles. Mm Mm-hmm. And he worked for Catawba County for almost 16 years. Right. So you just think he's just a low-level computer guy? Yeah. Sitting in there. Yeah, mild mannered as they say. They say it was reported <laughs> reported he was making about thirty four, thirty five thousand a year. Yeah, just chilling. Yeah, but Bobby was also a computer enthusiast, and according to his wife Sherry, they were married for fourteen years. Yeah. In an interview with the Washington Post, she lamented that he was more passionate for his hard drive than his marriage. Right. Well, I'm sure that was not uh, really rare, you know, because. Especially when people first got into the internet, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people got sucked into that. Oh, I'm sure. You, all of a sudden, instead of grabbing a dictionary or grabbing an encyclopedia or any question you have, you just jump online and there it was. Yeah, yeah. Find out anything you wanted. Anything and everything, and probably a lot of more than you really wanted. In some cases, mm-hmm. yeah. And his wife Sherry stated that in an interview that her husband Bobby had lost his attraction for her, hmm. and Sherry said the final straw was when her children asked why their father didn't love her anymore. But uh, there was one night she had, uh, Bobby hadn't come home and she'd got on his computer just trying to figure out what he was doing. Right. 
and she had found his messages. Yep, in emails. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And she had uh, cooked a big supper that night for him. Right. All of his favorites. Yeah. And just sat down. And I guess Bobby got to eating and got loosened up a little bit. And He was in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. And during this conversation, his wife, Sherry, mentioned one of the, I guess, interactions from his conversations he had had with uh, some of his online chats. Yeah. Basically was just uh, quoting some of the stuff he had said. Yeah. And when she did this, all the color had drained out of his face. Yeah. So he just went white. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine, dude. No, so then he's like, I'm caught, so they don't know what. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when uh, Sherry moved out. Yeah, she uh, she uh, decided to move her family, her and her three kids. Yeah, they they separated in May of 1996. Yes. Now, this is when Sherry moved her family from the home. Yeah. They had two daughters ages 10 and 7 and a son who was 6. Right. Yeah, I guess she got in there looking at all these things and then seen he he had a pseudonym of Toy Man and Slow Hand. I guess he had two different ones. Yeah. And seeing all this crazy stuff, it probably just kind of blew her mind because she had no idea that he was this uh, other person under her so-called mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she was seeing all this stuff that he was doing, and it was raw and violent and very disturbing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Especially seeing stuff where he's agreeing to help somebody go to him death yeah or whatever it's crazy in august of 1996 bobby and sharon they met each other online yes they got acquainted while visiting various sexually oriented internet chat rooms right while she was looking for somebody to bond and torture her he was looking for somebody to bond and torture basically yeah inflict some pain yeah his face for inflicting pain in her her uh, desire to be tortured kind of came together as a what, perfect storm or so. Yeah. Yeah. And there was an email message to Bobby. Sharon asked him to fulfill her fantasy. She wrote to Bobby that she wanted to be bound and strangled as she approached an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And Bobby responded to her message by describing in depth how he would fulfill her wish. Right. So in retrospect, you think, I mean, when his wife decided to leave him, it probably just made his day. He's free to do all this yeah. stuff. That, I mean, so where most people would be, oh, all to hell and, you know, don't leave me or this kind of stuff. He's like, great. So now I'm free to be me. Wife and kids are gone? Yeah. I can I, do my thing. I can t- keep my mask on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mild married computer guy at home or at work and super uh, S&M guy yeah. on the internet, right? Yeah. His wife even said that, you know, when they got – you know the internet at home he would spend all hours of the night on the internet and get to bed late and she would have to force him out of the bed to get up in the morning to go to work yeah because he stayed up all night yeah yep there was a an investigator for the lapaca case and his name was captain danny barlow of north carolina's caldwell county sheriff's department he even said if you put all their messages together it would make a very large novel. Yeah. It was like 900 pages of emails they came up with. That's crazy, dude. 900. Yeah. <laughs> so on the That's mor- a lot of talking. Yeah. So on the morning of October the 13th of 1996, Sharon got in her blue Honda Civic, and she drove to the train depot in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. And she told her husband, Victor, that she was going to visit some friends in Georgia. Yes. But instead, she boarded the 915 train to Charlotte, North Carolina. That's 915 in the morning. Yeah, Yeah. 915 a.m. Yeah. 
and about 8.45 p.m. that evening, she arrived in Charlotte. Right. Where Bobby was waiting for her. Yeah, like a gentleman, he showed up on time to pick her up. Yep. And together, they drove 80 miles from the train station in Charlotte in his pickup truck to his trailer in Lenore, North Carolina. Right. Now, everything that followed later is sort of speculation right well among know, everybody nobody you know. knows what really went on you know no they really don't i mean basically she's looking for somebody and you know we said before you know just uh to strangle her to orgasm but really you know her her fantasy was to be tortured and strangled and there's till death yeah that was her thing yeah that's then that's what she was really getting off on so basically i guess she found somebody in north carolina was gonna hook her up <laughs> i guess oh, crazy so after sharon had gone her husband, back in Baltimore, had found a note that Sharon had left for him. And this is like a week later. Yeah. Yeah. And the note stated that if my body is never retrieved, don't worry. Know that I'm at peace. Wow. Now, he went from believing she went to go visit some friends and be back and, you know, not you know, not to. I mean, she didn't work, so it was basically she didn't have a schedule to worry, you know, to come back to be at work a certain time. So she just went to go visit some friends in Georgia and then. And he finds this, you know, yeah. he's just floored here. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure he had no idea. Now, after he found this note, he he immediately called the cops. Yes. Because he knew she wasn't just going, something, something is up here. Yeah. So, right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in October 30th, 96, when the police department, they had a newly developed uh, uh, computer crime unit that they had just set up. So it was basically right on time here. And then that's when they went in and then uh, went to check her computers and found a about uh, the link to her and Bobby Glass in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So then after this is when uh, basically the police in, uh, I guess, Caldwell County started monitoring uh, Bobby's trailer and basically staking it out to see if they could find her. Because uh, luckily, you know, since they had to set up that computer thing, they actually found all the emails. So they knew that that's where she was actually going, to Georgia. That's right. So they set up actually outside his house and seen that Bobby was just being Bobby, regular, getting up, going to work, no problem. But he didn't. They didn't see any uh, any sign of her. So then they got a uh, a search warrant. Yes. And that's when uh, on October twenty fifth, Judge Bill issued a search warrant for Bobby's trailer. Yeah. The investigators arrived at Bobby's trailer while he was at work. Right. Now this property surrounding this turquoise trailer of Bobby's was littered with rotten garbage and abandoned toys. It was pretty trash. And there was a swing set there in the yard. Bunch of dogs. And the inside of the trailer was equally dirty. Yeah, and the the trailer was pretty rough and this uh I was gonna say torn up, but it's kinda uh run down as you say. There you go. And inside the trailer they found items belonging to Sharon. Right. As well as drug and bondage paraphernalia. Yeah. Some child pornography, pistols, and thousands of computer discs. Right. So they knew she had been there. So they started looking around outside because they didn't find no no sign of her in the house or anything. Just, you know, just some stuff knowing that she had been there because they found her stuff. And around the property and everywhere. Exactly. And it was about 75 feet away from the trailer. There was an officer. He discovered a fresh mound of soil. Right. And it didn't take them long to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And after digging only two and a half feet into the ground they found sharon's decomposing remains Mm. and caldwell county investigator d.a brown told the washington post that if the body had been buried in the the woods behind the trailer 
she probably would have never been found. Right. You know, and that kind of shocks me because I think they would eventually have found it. They probably would have. I mean, yeah. maybe not that quick. I think maybe what he means because, I mean, it was just right behind. It wasn't 75 feet behind the house beside the, the swing set, which is kind of weird. But, you know, they said he had had a, a trail walked in the yard where he was burning trash in the backyard. So they just followed that trail. And so he didn't do a really good job of hiding her. So he didn't, like, go way out in the woods or nothing. But. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, really. This bear right here beside the swing set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but her body was found, and she was naked and bound. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she had stuff around her her, her, her wrists, her ankles, and her neck. Mm-hmm. And the same day that her body was found, the police arrested Bobby at his workplace. Yeah, just walked right in and got him. He was coming out of the restroom, I think, when he walked. She opened the door to walk out, and there they were. Yeah. According to the Capitol News Service, this case was the first time that a police unit captured a murder suspect primarily based on evidence obtained in email messages. Right. That's pretty wild. It is. So while in custody, Bobby was interviewed about the events surrounding the alleged murder of Sharon Lepaca. And he told investigators that for several days, he and Sharon had acted out their violent sexual fantasies in his trailer. Right. And he confessed that Sharon had willingly allowed him to tie her up with rope and probe her with objects that were around the house. Can't even imagine, dude. Yeah, and no, no, I'm not going to say what I imagine because I'm thinking of things around the house. What the hell are you using? Yeah. Because there's, a, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to downplay this too much because this is pretty bad. And serious. It is bad. And Bobby also admitted that Sharon allowed him to tie a rope around her neck and tighten it as she climaxed during intercourse. Right. But Bobby claimed to have accidentally strangled Sharon to death while in the throes of this violent sexual play. And according to his lawyer, Neil Beach, Bobby was later quoted as saying, I don't know how much I pulled the rope. I never wanted to kill her, but she ended up dead. Now, this is kind of where we were talking about this, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm kind of open air on this. I know the whole, her whole fantasy was to be strangled till dead. Yes. I mean, she, I mean, that's what basically said, you know, but I don't know if he, I don't really think the dude killed her on purpose. I don't think it just, I think it would just escalate a little bit more and a little bit more and just trying to see how far they could push their boundaries. And then it just went too far. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he meant to kill her either because when they, did an autopsy of her body there were no bruises there were no cut marks or any kind of markings on her body yeah as far as being you know some stuff we've looked into before you know where it's just really really bad i mean yeah. this, is, this is bad because she she uh passed away but yeah like you're saying the only thing was she was strangled to death yes yeah fixated right so i thought i i tend to think that it was accidental yeah i do too i mean but she's still dead now, the search warrant affidavits were released by police, and it stated that Sharon intended to meet Bobby specifically to be tortured and killed. Right. And this camp, this Captain Danny Barlow considered a death under such circumstances to be deliberate and not accidental. Right. And according to, to police, the emails written under the pseudonym Slowhand, this was Bobby. That's Bobby, yeah. Detailing how he was going to kill Sharon provided further evidence that the death was premeditated. Yeah, and that's I get true. it. Yeah, I get it. That's true. And in really, I mean, they believed that Sharon died only three days after she got in North Carolina. So, you know, like she wanted to die, she come to North Carolina, and he 
killed her and buried her in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Basically, is the way they're looking at it. But I don't know. I think uh, you know, and we're not kink shaming or nothing. You do what you want to do. I don't care. You whatever people want to do. I don't. Do none of my business. But I, I, I still believe that maybe they were going at it, doing the, whatever they wanted to do, probing and choking and whatever. But I, I think it just just went a little bit too far. I, I really don't believe the dude just premeditated killed her yeah i mean and maybe he did but i don't think so i mean bobby didn't have any criminal record at all he's just computer guy yeah so i think he was just dealing in some sexual fantasies just like her yeah i think he you know he might have got carried away and it might have you know what i'm saying you know he didn't know how uh how rough stuff was actually getting you know in the in the heat of the moment per se yeah but she's dead's dead still he, killed her According to the email messages, he stated that he would kill her. Of course, under law, you cannot consent to your own death, so yeah, same difference. Now, Bobby was charged with first-degree murder and held without bond in the Caldwell County Jail. And on October the 26th, uh, Superior Court Judge Beverly T. Beal issued a gag order to those directly involved in this case. Right. And regardless of the court order, the media obtained enough information to sensationalize the Lepaca case. Yeah, well, most, I'm sure. Most of the news stories focused on the dangers of Internet uh, meetings, and it, Sharon's death spawned debates and discussions of groups worldwide. Yeah, many started calling for censorships, you know, on the Internet and to prevent such deaths and protect all their children. Yeah. And then even a lot of the S&M groups, you know, were coming out and going, wait, this ain't us. This ain't what we do, and we're we're not pushing for any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So they tried to separate themselves. The the S&M community and the BDSM community tried to separate themselves from this, too, because they was like, whoa, wait a minute now. This ain't us, so don't don't, don't drag us into this. And there was a term that was coined during this time. It was called the Mardi Gras Phenomenon and is a term used by psychologists to describe the ability to mask one's uh, appearance and assume a variety of personalities right. on the on the web and allowing one to speak and you know act freely with little or no consequence. Yes. Now this phenomena is particularly prevalent on the internet where users can express themselves freely and anonymously you know in online chat rooms and yeah. news groups. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true, you know, but I don't know how much they can do that kind of stuff because that's just what people do. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're not using your real name, you can kind of say what you want to say. And I, it's still done today. Exactly. Now, Sharon's death and the publicity surrounding the case led to an increased interest in the understanding of deviant sexual behaviors, especially sadism, masochism, and the use of asphyxia during sexual intercourse. And there was a psychologist, Richard Von Kraft Ebing, first coined the term sadist and masochist to describe behavior in which sexual arousal was achieved through the infliction of, you know, pain and stuff. Infliction or reception. Yes. Some people like to inflict. Some people like to be inflicted. inflicted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Inflictee or the inflictor. Right. Yeah. Now, Dale, according to the Reber's Dictionary of Psychology, sadism is the association of sexual pleasure with the infliction of physical or you know mental pain right. upon another. Yeah, humiliation, exploitation, displacement. And masochism refers to the tendency to direct that which is destructive, painful, or humiliating against oneself. Hmm. And psychologist Sigmund Freud, everybody knows Sigmund Freud, Yeah, he was the first to combine the two terms into sadomasochism in an attempt to emphasize the the use of pain during sexual intercourse. Right. Basically saying one goes with the other. Yeah. 
in the controversial form of deviant sexual play practiced by some sadomasochists involves the use of strangulation. And sexual strangulation is referred to by the psychology community as a form of... Age play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. Right. That's what I was saying. You know, they want to take it to the edge. But, you know, like I said, when you go over, you go over. Now, Dale, there's a controversial form of deviant sexual play practiced by some of these sadomasochists involves the use of strangulation. Right. And this sexual strangulation is referred to by the psychological community as a form of... Affixophilia. Affixophilia, yeah. Yeah, you know, usually I mean, people are using their hands or a tourniquet or some kind of tied around the throat during sexual intercourse or masturbation to achieve a feeling of euphoria and elation, which is usually supposedly intensifies the orgasm. But, you know, so saying all that, it also says that there's about 250 deaths occur every year of people doing this either with somebody or alone. Yeah. You know, and that happens a lot, and you hear about, about that, you know, a couple of famous people that that's happened to. But, you know, that's the here's or there's of that. Mm-hmm. So, but what makes this case exceptional is that Sharon ventured into, the, into this relationship with one apparent intention to die. And that's that's what makes the big difference here. She didn't want to just be right on the verge. She was wanted to go all the way. So, basically, she was a suicidal masochist. But, you know, you, you, know, you got to remember, too, she was not the first in history to seek out this, you know, willing participant who would fulfill her, her fantasies of this. Well, that's true. So it's kind of crazy, you know. But yeah. I don't know, man. It's just. I like, guess with the internet being involved in all this, it made it more sensationalized. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know. I just that's just a, a really weird fantasy for me to wrap my head around because that's just one and done, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's what you want, it's just kind of crazy. Now the case against Bobby stretched on for like three years, following yeah. several lengthy delays. Yeah. And then on January 27, 2000, Bobby pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter as well as six counts of second-degree sexual exploitation of a minor. Now, the latter charges resulted from all the pornographic material found in his computer, and he was sentenced to 36 to 53 months in prison for the manslaughter of Sharon and 21 to 26 months for the possession of the child pornography. Yeah. Now, he was sent to Avery Mitchell Correctional Institute in North Carolina, and on February 20, 2002, two weeks before he was scheduled to be released, Bobby Glass had a heart attack and was pronounced dead at 1.30 a.m. at Spruce Pine Community Hospital in North Carolina. But, you know, while Bobby was in prison, they reported that he was just a model prisoner. Yeah. He didn't give him any problems. He kept to himself. He read a lot, uh, studied computers while he was in prison because that was his thing. That's all he thought about. Yeah, so, you know, he didn't have any. And I think that was one reason he got off light on his sentencing because he didn't have any back, you know, priors right well plus this is all new man at this point you know yeah i mean and i know you can't consent to your own death and like you said they, they thought maybe i'm sure he got some kind of deal for pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter you know and then plus they already had him for all this other stuff so and i don't know i think that's kind of why he got off light plus you got to remember he also got uh, credit for time served which is three years or something mm-hmm. so but still got off pretty light yeah, I think, what was it, six years or something total? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. So, but, you know, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's just pretty wild, pretty wild uh, case here. <sighs> I guess if you really want something, you look hard enough, you can find it. Basically what it comes down to, right? Yep. But Sharon's body was taken back to Baltimore, Maryland, after, you know, she was found. Right. And she was buried in the Shari Tiflo Cemetery. 
there in Baltimore, Maryland. I just goes wonder, you know, man, what does her family think about all this? I don't know. That's just the aftermath, you know. And Bobby was buried there close to his family's plots there in Lenore, North Carolina. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because he was, you know, his dad, and they were all pretty prominent people there. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby was, you know, prominent. He was in the Rotary Club and things, and, yeah, I don't know. He just got on the line and got into that. That rabbit hole and just kept going. Deviant lifestyle. He He never came out of it, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny, you know, you can look at, um, you know, Sharon left the, the Jewish uh, religion and went to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. But then she was buried in the, the Jewish cemetery and has the, on her gravestone, she has the menorah right. on her uh, headstone. So you think her, her, maybe her parents took her back in her? Yeah, could have. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, it's a crazy story, dude. It is, it is. It's uh, kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. But uh, we want to thank Bobby Mathis for bringing this case to our attention. It was in our backyard, and we didn't know anything about it. Right. I'd, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Catawba County is just right here. Yeah, you, <laughs> we can be in Catawba County in just a few minutes. Yeah, every day pretty much. Yep. All right, Dale. That is the gruesome story of Sharon LaPaca. It is. Pretty sad. I guess she got what she wanted in the end, so maybe, uh, like she said, she's at peace. Yeah, Definitely. All right, dude, we're going to get out of here. All right, let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.